0: Welcome to Three Devs and a Maybe. Now introducing your show hosts, Michael Budd, Fraser Hart, Lewis Keynes, and Ed Mann. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Three Devs and a Maybe, which should probably be renamed to Two Devs and Two Maybes. Which hardly ever come on, but yeah. Uh, I am Michael Budd, and I'm joined today by the ever-present Ed Mann. How are you doing?
1: Hello. Yeah, I'm always
0: here. You are always just, here.
1: I've got no, I've got no life, and I'm always here. How are we doing?
0: Yeah, I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, just kind of a bit burnt out with uh, programming at the minute, but um, other than that, can't complain really. So oh, other
1: than other than your job, you can't complain. I like it. Yeah, I like yeah. it.
0: Yeah, that's it. I'd rather not. Well, work. Hopefully,
1: we can talk about it. Hopefully, we can talk about it this show and maybe hash some things out that you've been going on about. Yeah. Okay.
0: Sounds good. So, do you want to kick off? Because we've got quite a bit to uh, get through, actually, looking at the notes.
1: Yeah, we actually do. I mean, for a change, we've got like a, a Google Doc, which is pretty full. So, yeah. Yeah, I true. think, yeah, let's. Well, I suppose it's been a couple of weeks, though, since we last did one kind of yeah. one of these yeah. shows, not an interview show. So, yeah, I, I'm happy to start off if you're happy for me, too. You go for it brilliant okay yeah so so since i recorded the episode with brian moses actually i i ended up building the server uh, so i now have my own beautiful server which has been very fun um it was the first like pc build uh service like you know snap pc slash server build that i've done in years um so it was quite fun and interesting like playing around with the cpu and stuff amy i i, I was i was hoping to you know try and convince amy into the like the fun and geeky side and you know But no, she didn't quite take to it. She didn't really understand the concept of like how delicate you have to be with a cpu and stuff and she was wondering why i was like you know so delicately putting this thing in and then putting the paste on and stuff she's like well why don't you just put it it's like no okay so it's, it's not for her we, we've learned that we've learned that pc builds are not for amy uh but no she is enjoying the fact that plex is now on there and stuff so the the spec that i ended up going for the nerd out here we go uh so i went for an intel i5 7600 76000k 7, the unlocked edition uh kaby lake processor uh, i went with that i went for an i5 instead of like an i seven because I just looked at the benchmarks and stuff and I realized I don't need too much. I need about four. Ideally, I can get four 1080 Plex streams going through it. Uh, and then maybe, and I've actually been testing it, I can get more than that actually uh, in real hardware to, uh, like tests. And I need now, now with the like the HEVC format and stuff coming out, X265, I've been able to get like, I've been playing around with getting like four streams of that rolling. So I've been really happy with that processor set up. Uh, I went with 16 gig of RAM, which actually, you know, I may have to boost up. And then this is the fun part. So I ended up spending a lot more of my money uh, because I kind of had a bit of money partitioned up and it's working out. This is what I love about server builds and stuff. It's kind of like, and even PC builds, it's kind of, you partition up, you know, where you want to put money and like, where's the value in the setup, you know, the story. And for me, the story was hard drive space. And I ended up going with six red, four terabyte Western digital drives uh, red because that's like the, you know, the NAS build ones, which are, they run, I think, at 5,400 RPM and they like, produce less heat and stuff. So they're, and they're made more for like always on. Um, and that was fun and putting them in was interesting and zip tying all of it together and stuff i like to keep the server like set up like the actual build clean and stuff so you know making sure everything's all tied and neatly uh, put into the case is always a, always a must but yeah so with that was the fact that i was aiming for was a zfs pool so the zeta file So that was something i spoke about on that brian Moses show and actually he was sorry he was speaking about it you know main you know mainly about for using freenas and stuff and I looked into that and I was having some issues actually installing FreeNAS and I thought that was a blessing in disguise because I thought, actually, you know what? I'm going to just learn from the off. So I I put up in a an Ubuntu um, OS, loaded up the latest, can't remember what it is, like an LTS version of it, and uh, install ZFS and set up my own pool and everything like that. So I'm now running a ZFS RAID, was it RAID Z2, which means I've got two lots of redundancy. It's a RAID six setup essentially, uh, and it's a lot of fun. It, it's been interesting the last couple of uh, weeks because of the heat. I'll, I'll talk about that later on about the monitoring and stuff. So I've been keep, making sure to keep the hard drives cool and stuff. Uh, and like balancing that between actually how loud it is but it's surprisingly not too loud I mean it's actually running in the background now and it's not being too bad uh, one interesting thing actually before I do kind of go on is I've actually opted so I, I got six hard drives but and I've used up all my SATA ports of my motherboard and I decided to not like use a dedicated hard drive for actually the operating system so I actually just ended up taking out something out of Brian Moses book and using a USB drive so a USB 3 drive a uh, small little 32 gig Little dongle uh, thing at uh, USB Pen and installed Ubuntu on that. And now I've just been backing that up to make sure because I know that's going to die sooner than you know maybe the hard drives will die and stuff and i'll make sure that's okay so i've been making images of that so that's been interesting and and the other thing actually sorry is um burning testing so that was something i've never done before the idea of like using like mensa and all these things and MemTest to make sure that your hardware when you build it your hardware is up to scratch so i had a lot of fun the, the first couple of days literally just ragging this system you know for hours on end you know kind of keeping up making sure the heating and everything was right on the cpu to make sure that you know the paste i put on correctly and how it was and distributing the heat and and everything and yeah it's been a lot a lot of
0: fun you might as well have done the whole last segment in french for uh, for my benefit <laughs> because i mean it's arguable that i know anything about software but hardware is just uh a whole... i think
1: i think you should give it a go i think you should build a hackintosh personally. i'd love to
0: i'd actually i actually would love to i would like to give it a go but i'd be lying if i said i knew much about it at all to be honest but it sounds like that was really good fun doing what you did to be fair you know what man it was it was
1: blast and pass kind of when i used to do pc builds and stuff and it was it was it was i was rusty and it it was really interesting kind of yes specking out a machine for once you know bit by bit as opposed to the mac apple approach which is kind of you know you take what you can and you take what you're given really for the price that you pay so although i love mac and i love apple you know i also do love the fact of being able to you know the value and being able to pick each individual bit
0: yeah yeah absolutely what were the pitfalls though what could have gone wrong
1: uh everything as well i mean so you know i you know i could have uh, fried the cpu when i put it in and stuff so you have to use um shock uh like anti-static sorry like uh, straps and stuff when you use when you're actually setting up your build and, and actually yeah. playing around with this hardware because you don't want to get any you know st- static hitting the each of the each of the components yeah. uh specifically the cpu putting that in is always the interesting one because so i you have your motherboard out, and then you take, you know, you then essentially take this tiny, that costs the most out of everything, essentially, is this Intel i5 thing. It's a tiny little thing, comes in a crappy box. Yeah. Uh, and then you put, take it out, and you put it in, and then you have to put this horrible paste stuff on it. So you look like your mate, because that then distributes the heat better. Uh, you put this horrible paste stuff on it, which think you think, I'm ruining this beautiful CPU here. Uh, and then you literally have to squish this uh fan on because i've got the k version uh, the unlock version it didn't came, come with like a stock fan but actually it's kind of a blessing disguise there as well because i ended up paying i think it was like 25 quid for this Cooler master fan that everyone raves about and it's huge and scary because you're essentially squishing this thing on your cpu but it is absolutely amazing it's you know the, the it's a massive fan but it distributes the heat so well and it really does show
0: so, what's the paste do? Is that like an adhesive thing, or is that something
1: protective, or all it is? I think I can't. I don't know what it is. It's like some compound thing that you you put over the CPU, so it distributes the heat. So the idea is, it goes, and when you squish it down, it provides like a nice seal, so that the heat transfers from the CPU up to this cooler, you know this cooling fan, right. as quick as possible and as effective as possible. Gotcha. Okay. And what's the difference in price between an i five and an i seven? This is the interesting thing. So the new seventh gens was out, which was good timing for me, really. The the price bump would have been about another hundred quid, I reckon. And I didn't really need the power. Like if you're using i7s and stuff, typically for you know, if you're if you want really fast single cores because you're using gaming and stuff. And I wasn't so the other argue, the other idea I was gonna go with was actually to use second hand hardware. And I kind of chickened out there. I chickened out because I wanted, like, I, you know, the, the first thing I thought of when I was making a server was like, yeah, I want to use a Xeon processors and I want to use ECC RAM. And, you know, I want it to be proper hardware grade stuff. And, uh, sorry, s- uh, server grade stuff. And then I realized that's a lot of money. And do I really need it? No. And am I going to have as much fun, as much value out of it? Kind of, you know, when I limit it to the budget that I wanted to pay and what I needed. Yeah, and it turns out, you know, it's fine the way I've done it. Chickened out of using secondhand hardware, really partly because I just wanted to spec it out myself. Like, I like the idea of being able to spec it out on Amazon and stuff and, and seeing and playing around with it. And it's, it's been really fun. No, it sounds awesome. It really does. Cool. So what else you got on the list for us? Uh, so other things on the list. So they do kind of relate, actually. So one of the things that I had to do was do a transfer. So I did a transfer from my old server to my new server. And there's a lot of media on there, a lot of photos and things like that. And they're all backed up to Dropbox, but they also need to be copied across. And one of the things that's the beautiful thing about ZFS, and I definitely want to get someone on to talk about ZFS in a very technical, far more technical manner than I can. But essentially, it's like Git, really, kind of the way that that is hashed. Everything's hash upon a hash upon a hash. And actually, when you talk, you know, in a, few, in, a, in a later bit, when you may talk about a certain Bitcoin thing and stuff, you'll realize with blockchains. And it's this idea, you know, that you've got this consistency because you know that the hash is the same is the same file and actually everything's checksummed and there's this idea of scrubbing and essentially what happens is, is it stops bit rot happening. So ZFS, you do this scrub every week or every month, however you want to do it. And what it does is it essentially goes through every file and checks to make sure that that file that you have on disk hashes to the same or that block hashes to the same that it actually is meant to be, like what was written. Um, if it's not, it can then use one of the rep, you know, redundant bits to actually pick that up. Um, that was one of the things actually with a scrub, which was the thing where people were going on about ECC ram and how you know you should use that because potentially you can corrupt your whole you know zfs pool um i found a really interesting youtube video which i'll try and put in the show notes which kind of went against that and said like there's a lot of things that have to go wrong for it to be like that but yeah so one of the things was it's the whole concept of hashing and I just thought well when I'm copying this stuff across so I synced it all across and actually I used a bit of rsync and I used a bit of just USB 3 kind of you know plugging in an external hard drive and I wanted to make sure that those files were exactly the same as what was already on that you know on my old Drobo so I ended up using something called hash deep and essentially what it does is it goes through a whole file system a whole directory or you know and it will just do the hashes it will just get the you know SHA ones or the MD5 hashes of each one of those files and then when I did the copy over I'll just run those on that and say are they the same hash and it was really interesting and really cool like to be able to know for a fact that the, the stuff i'd copied over was the exact same and that's the beauty of that good of you a know, hashing function is you know you get this however long um you know string essentially or you know 128 bits or whatever telling you that that file is the same as that file and if it's a little bit out one bit out maybe you know it's going to change that hash and you know it's wrong so fortunately i didn't have any problems there and it all kind of transferred over over nicely very nice very nice yeah and then finally uh, and then i'll let you talk because i know i'm yabbing on uh, no. about all the server stuff yeah. uh is monitoring so so at work and everything we use things like datadog and we put to use things like logly and pager duty and it's a great setup but i was thinking can i do that on a budget you know can i just do it for my own server uh, all i want to do is things like you know temperatures and stuff i want to make sure that the hard drives are spinning all right you know they're using things like the smart on each of the hard drives to be able to read like how f- hot they're going getting using the sensors on the cpu to make sure of that make sure to keep up to date with like you know zpool you know how healthy is my zfs pool how when was the last scrub and things like that and also are oh, these processes running such as how you know how good is plex doing how good is ssh doing I-, I looked around and and one of the things actually that popped up was something called monit and i i'd never heard of it before and it kind of, I felt like it, could be a ble- like it could be a brilliant thing for our work as well. Like, but it turned out it's, it has got some limitations. But the beautiful thing about it is you code all the monitors and stuff in plain text files. And you use it in their own little DSL. And it allows you to use for sensors and stuff, essentially like kind of, you know, monitoring aspects. You're able to just create little shell scripts and it will run those. And if it, you know, return value, the exit code on it or, you know, whatever the value in the certain files that you generate are it will then do certain actions. Like, in our, my case, I actually got it to use um, send out emails initially. Uh, and that was great. But then I wanted to actually use things like, you know, I, I love the idea about to get push notifications. You know, I want to know, oh, is my server running too hot? Okay, maybe I need to look into it. And I use push notifications. Now, setting that up can be a bit of a ball ache because you may have to pay, you know, and all this. And so I lo- found out something called pushover. And um, pushover is like a, just for five quid, you get a license, just a single device license. And it's just a developer's dream. Like, all it is is you can just do a curl request to an endpoint and just say, look, by the way, just dump this. And it will just send it to your device. And now I get push notifications. So I've got, for moni- you know, monitoring, I've got push notifications instantaneously if things are going wrong. Yeah. Um, and it, it's been great. Okay. I've set that out. That does sound quite good, Yeah. It's the, uh, you know what man, I would definitely recommend it because there there was this balance. Like I was just thinking, maybe I could just use shell scripts for everything. Like I noticed a ZFS health status thing, and it was just using a simple script that was on a cron job. Yeah. And uh, I kind of went away from that to use Monit because I thought Monit kind of had a bit more, some nicer features and it was a bit more complete with other things like checking out processes and checking out kind of like how the C- CPU usage and performance is doing and stuff. Mm. Um, but this combined like with all the use and shell scripts and Everything's a shell script monitor. I would actually recommend looking into Monit and pushover because pushover is great just for the fact of you get I think it's like seven thousand push notifications a month with this five pounds that you pay one off okay. and I remember it back in the day when I did some freelance stuff and I used it a bit, but this is just it's great and it's just nice to be able to know and again it's like why do I need to know just because I want to you know like did you <laughs> does it really matter about your home server? It's like to me it does yeah. you know being a nerd <laughs> yeah, 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 oh nice awesome but how about you though sir that's enough of me ranting
0: yeah uh yeah i guess like i can say um uh, uh yeah i i have i definitely needed um some time away from programming certainly in the evenings and stuff so uh uh yeah away from that i've kind of i've been uh built, well i built a summer house well i had a flat pack summer house anyway to put that together and i um sort of got electric that is no the- easy feat sir
1: I, uh, I, I've got to say that is no easy feat, and you've done a darn good job looking at the pictures.
0: Uh, well, it's not that great, but yeah, I mean, uh, done... <laughs> <laughs> ever, ever the uh, you know, ever the one to congratulate himself, Mickey B. <laughs> well, you know, I got that done. I got an electrician in to uh, power it up, and I've got a network cable running. That was a bit of a nightmare because I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, but finally got internet in there, which was great. And um, yeah, and then I've been I've been putting up plasterboard, so but do you know what I've enjoyed doing that so much I've I've insulated it as well and I think just having having a hobby away from programming has been uh, healthy for a little bit to be honest with you so that's been really good fun but back to the uh, the programming kind of stuff what have I been working on so I guess I I think I've you know spoken quite openly about it in the past but the testing on the JavaScript side of things for my code base is is nowhere near the kind of level that I've got on the back end, so and still isn't. But what I have been doing more is kind of following up those errors in Sentry. So before, I literally only had my PHP errors going through to Sentry, so I kind of opened up Pandora's box and made it so my JavaScript was going through as well, uh, which was eye-opening, but really useful. But one of the things I suddenly realized was that my, my production version of the JavaScript which obviously did all the minimising, minimising, compressing, and tree shaking, all the rest. So then, when I was reading those errors, it was just you know all the uh, horrible variable names that made no sense to me, and and you couldn't read it. So what I didn't realise actually was it was just one line of code changed on my webpack config file to to produce the uh, the map file. So that's been really good actually, and I was able to. Whilst there wasn't hundreds of of bugs, you know, it was just nice to go through them and. I really like my century error page to be empty. So uh, it's nice to be on top of that and to be able to manage it. So that's one of the things I've been doing. Obviously, you're aware, but for everyone listening who doesn't know, I had that horrible incident in the week with a supervisor and the queue that I've got in place. So that wasn't fun. But what I didn't realize was I basically i have got one, one task now that's placed onto a queue. And something was wrong with the code. So I was like desperately trying to fix it, making all these kind of changes in my code. And what I didn't realize was that that code, that process that's put in the queue, the code is cached. So I was literally putting exit statements in there saying like, why is nothing happening after banging my head for about an hour and uh, you'll kill me because it was kind of thing where I should have read the documentation properly. It was like, yeah, you need to restart (laughs) supervisor whenever you make a change to that, that, that code, that particular process. So that was that was particularly painful. But the short term pain is, you know, definitely been outweighed by the gain because what it has meant is that obviously anyone who's got our track code installed, it means that the, the time now, I literally am just collecting that data when it first comes in and then passing it onto the queue, which means that the the loading time for our uh, our subscribers now is dramatically reduced. I mean before it was it was around about three seconds. And I knew about it and I was embarrassed about it. And it was just one of those things I needed to get around to doing. So now it's like oh uh, well, it's about three hundred milliseconds. So I still like to get it down. I mean, looking at things like Hotjar, I think they're like ninety milliseconds. But you know, obviously you have to take into consideration a little bit the kind of resources they have. I don't know. I think three hundred milliseconds is okay.
1: I think hey dude, from three seconds to three hundred milliseconds, it's a good
0: you take that with, don't you? With. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I had that fun. And um, I guess going back to the, the previous point I was making about logging the JavaScript service Century, one of the things that I've kind of been obviously doing to fix those issues is a lot of defensive programming. And I don't know if it's just a perception that I've got, but I definitely feel like I do a lot more defensive programming in JavaScript than I do in PHP. And I don't know if that's a language thing or just that I'm a really bad JavaScript programmer. Uh, I mean, do you fi- do you find that? Or would you say the balance is equal?
1: You know what, man, right? I definitely don't think it's because you're a bad programmer. I think it's the whole... <laughs> I think it's, you know, the idea that, you know, it's a client, isn't it? So it's going down to the client and you don't have control over who runs that code. Uh, you know, on a server backend, you kind of have a bit more control over it. Now, you have to make sure that things that are coming in are, you know, sanitized and stuff like that. But I, I can understand why you do more defensive programming on the JavaScript side. Uh, when you say like defensive
0: programming, then what, what kind of things do you mean? Do you know what? It's just the basics it, it, in reality. I don't know why, but I seem to do a lot of bad practice that I don't do in PHP. So, for example, referencing an object in, a, in an array and just assuming that that key exists. Because at some point, you know, I started off with that key, definitely existed. But it, obviously, over time, that, that array can change or, you know, might end up becoming null or whatever. Uh, things like that, just re- really basic stuff. But I think, like you say, I think because it's uh, happening on the client client side, there are things that uh, I, I hadn't necessarily picked up on before. Before I was, you know, logging them. So I think, to be honest with you, a lot of it is I, ha- I am doing more bad practice in the JavaScript side of things than I am PHP. Can't put a finger, you know, on why that is, but I don't know. Strange
1: actually thinking about it, when I start thinking about it more now so you are kind of trained in the JavaScript world to be a lot more defensive you don't know where how this where it's going to be run in the environment so what people do it's like things like polyfills and stuff they always check if something's present if something's not then you may have to load a polyfill. you may have to do something different so you're doing a lot of this kind of like you're doing there that checking that sniffing yeah you know things such as like we it's the whole concept of oh, undefined can be set so you know you're seeing like you know typical if you look through the jQuery code back in the day that you know the way they would do it is you'd pass in an you know self-invoking function and you'd make your own undefined that you're using that and the this and the window and people can change all these things so you, you yeah you, you do think more about what's happening because you've realized that a lot more can change because of the fact that outside of that code especially in your world actually where i would say you'd have to be ultra defensive because you're putting code on other people's sites that you don't even know what they've got on that site yeah so you're completely outside so you know i think if you speak to a lot of people maybe use these third-party apis and, and provide this javascript they are too probably very defensive of what they do and making sure that things are set and and things aren't you know things are how you what they want to be uh, because yeah. people can change it
0: but also conversely it almost feels like sometimes when i'm doing this defensive program and i'm going and fixing these errors saying oh okay it almost feels like a bit of a hack because it feels like well you're fixing the symptom, no the other way around right. You're fixing the problem without actually knowing what what actually caused it, and so it's like, well, shouldn't you be going like further up upstream and finding out what's happened to get to that point in the first place rather than dealing with the result of it? I mean, I guess the argument is you should be dealing with both, right, but I don't know it'll whenever I'm doing JavaScript, I always feel like I'm doing things in a very hacky way. And I don't know how I'll ever get away from that. I mean, I'm reading the ES6 book at the moment, as you know, and that's a brilliant book. It's really, really good. But even though I know, you know, reading the really good examples of how to code, I still end up doing it in quite a hacky way. It's not as if I don't know the right way to do it. It's it's just very strange. I, I don't know. Probably just me.
1: No, no, I think it, I think it's interesting. I think with JavaScript, it depends also if you're pre-compiling it and stuff like that because you can use all the latest and greatest from ES6 if you know that you're getting Babel when, you know, it's transpiling it down for you into, in quotes, ugly code or more, you know, whatever whatever needs to be done for it to run on, on more, the most platforms. Yeah. Um, but if you aren't and you're using just native vanilla JavaScript, which probably you end up having to do because, again, this code that you may be generating and creating, it goes on many sites. So you want to have every fine grained know exactly what bit and bytes going down. You can't use transpires and stuff maybe because you don't trust them enough. Maybe you should, I don't know, but I, I wouldn't, you know, I'd be like you where I'd want to know exactly what's going down the wire uh, if it's going on a third party site because that's the only time, that's the only sensor I have is to be able to grab as much information then and give it back to me. Once it's on my server, I can do whatever I like and and that's why I, I applaud you for you know, doing what you've done where you've split out you know, the the processing and the collection because collection and processing are two different problems. And you've read the reward there of collection actually can be a very quick task. It can be, oh, grab the stuff, dump it in my database or dump it in a queue and then I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it in another transaction, another problem, you know, and, and then, yep, okay, fine. Now I can process it in many different ways or however I want. And I don't have to worry about it people not being collected and stuff because of delays and stuff because that's happening in the background and another, you know, another problem
0: yeah yeah so the um the other thing really so like i say i guess uh it's a little bit obsessive but so i've got my sentry error page pretty much blank now which is great and i'm not seeing many errors come in which is fantastic uh so really that's allowed me to take a little bit of a step back and look at some of the other aspects of the application that i'm constantly working on and i think the main issue i've got at the moment is is now down to like speed issues uh, it's a really tricky one because anything i do now to try and Counteract that, I think, is not going to be a small job, and I've been looking at things like flat tables, but I don't think they're necessarily going to help me because a lot of the nature of the speed issues is that people are constantly querying on different date ranges, and as part of that, there's lots of counts. I'm not 100 sure. The, I mean, I'm going to try it. I think that's the first thing to do is to try with flat tables, but essentially, it's really difficult. And a part of me thinks, well, look, are these queries always going to be slow? Is is there you know certain things that you know what you can do a certain amount but eventually you are going to take quite a long time to, to retrieve that data
1: what you want the ideal is information comes in and it's instantly available for someone to query yeah. in like a SQL kind of form and be able to like you know do date ranges and everything and get counts and stuff but then you reach a like a size that gets you know you start bringing all this data in it it gets quite hard to do that uh specifically for everyone and then there's a couple of like, okay, so you've got that. That's the problem. Like, what do you do? Well, either, you either kind of expand that and you say, no, nope, right, we've got to have bigger databases and maybe we're going to shard it. Maybe we're going to, you know, do all these crazy things to make it so they can still do what they want to do. You know, these these queries anywhere and any everywhere. Or you kind of take a step back and then you think, okay, what do I want them to do? Like you do the whole ETL model, which is the extract, transform, load thing. And it's like, you know, you, so what you would do is you'd, have your process you'd have your collection phase and then maybe it would take an hour or two for it to go into you know them seeing it but then maybe that's not what they want or maybe there's certain aspects that they can see real time and there's other aspects they can't and then you get things like aggregations and counts and stuff that happen in the background it is i suppose the idea maybe is that you have this concept of you know if people have saved queries what's wrong there maybe you know caching those queries or preempting those queries because you say okay this is the type of query they want a weekly stats report or if they're very fine-grained though they need to understand that that's going to take a long time or yeah it's a tough one you're in actually because you're trying to give them everything but i don't know if you can i think it's going to be one of those things where it's going to you know aggregation or smaller data sets maybe as you say like denormalizing the tables and stuff but then that's catering towards certain query loads yeah. Uh, I think that's one thing I've realised with Post with SQL, sorry, is that and, and relational databases and databases in general is they can do everything. Like a, a relational database, you can do everything, but you know to get performance and stuff, you need to denormalize it. But you need to know what you're trying to optimize for on the off. Like you don't know what indexes you need because you you know certain queries are going to need certain indexes and stuff, and maybe having multiple. You know you can't. You know it's it's not the the clients client giving that client that ability. You are kind of making it a problem for yourself to be like, oh crap, how am I going to try and make it work for everyone?
0: Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So
1: I, I would say I have no, I have no answer to that, sadly, well, other, than, yeah. other than I would say definitely look into maybe in the domain itself, the business domain to, to kind of see what information do they need right there and then, and is there, is there any way of aggregating it, you know, any way of being able to provide them with this stuff and then provide them with it a bit later on, maybe with more clarity, you know, get quicker samples and things and and then provide them with more in depth later on where they're able to do, you know, it goes down the the funnel. But I understand probably what they're looking for is like, I want to know now exactly what happened this hour, but it's what they need to know that hour. That's the interesting part.
0: Yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. But other than that, I mean, uh, I know we talked about this as last, last uh, podcast. That me mean, you did together. We did talk about it. So I don't want to rant, want to rant on about it again too much because I don't want to repeat ourselves, but it did really make me cringe this week. Uh, I heard it again. I don't think you used this exact phrase last podcast, but um, I think it was, it was Amber Rudd or Theresa May said, oh yeah we need weaker encryption and i've heard that phrase quite a few times this week obviously if everything's happened in manchester and london in this country it has been again in the news a lot we need weaker encryption we need we need whatsapp we need facebook to weaken their encryption and to me weak encryption is not encryption that's just that's more like obfuscation right
1: yeah it's true i mean it's not encryption if someone can just easily break it Essentially, what you're trying to say is, you know, I want a way, a back door in. But then who's to say the bad guys aren't going to use that? You see, this is the thing. And I think this is what, where, you know, we spoke to Colin Hardy last episode talking about like the shadow brokers. Like the NSA had all these these hacks and stuff and then they got hacked. Yeah. And now what the problem is, is that they're been, you know, I mean, this is why we had WannaCry in, in, was such a, a big issue because of the fact that the SMB Samba exploit helped it trickle down. So who's to say that isn't going to happen with this type of
0: thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's see. a tough one it's yeah. a very
1: very tough one
0: yeah so anyway i can see you've got some uh some more things anyway i don't know wanna...
1: uh well yeah so so kind of the only other things actually i've got is mainly kind of what i've been doing at work so i've been doing a lot of upgrades recently actually we've taken the task now to upgrade from so we're currently on 5.6 on php 5.6 so we want to upgrade to 7.1 uh, it's time we do that and um, there's been a couple of bits that kind of have stopped us from doing that mainly just kind of how our ser- server setup is but we've slowly been chinking away at them which has been great one of them the first one i did was getting the code base up to scratch actually so that was one of the easy ones actually it turned out so our code base was very good at moving from 5.6 to 7.1 so another thing actually was our mail server uh, needed to be moved. And we actually, so we host our own mail, which is our local business mail. And it was really interesting because I've never dealt with email kind of, you know, the whole idea for me, email was always like, oh yeah, chuck it over to Gmail to deal with, you know, use Google. But dealing with email was really interesting and really fun. And actually, like I was, I was even exploring like <laughs> tail netting in uh, and sending email that way. How old school is that? And it was really, really fun. But one of the things we did today was to move the mail server and we moved it out to AWS And it has been, you know, we we slowly started to move more stuff to AWS. And and this is a whole other debate, really, Mm. of, you know, like using a platform like AWS. We've moved it over to AWS with its own, you know, it's got its own EBS, uh, you know, backups and snapshots. And so interesting because, like, they provide, like, a nice simple Lambda function that allows, a Python function that allows it to do auto snapshots and things like that. Uh, But, like, the EC2 instances, looking at all the different things there, I mean, it's a different world, man. It's like going into it, you realize that this platform is just... A different world in itself, the concept of like all the different setups you can have like T setups so where uh, you know you have more burst rate and stuff with CPUs to more compute intensive setups and stuff and choosing them yeah it, it's very interesting and I'll put some uh, in some things in the show notes about what we've been doing there uh but yeah finally we did we did upgrade from puppet three to four which has been great and now we're also updating from debbie and wheezy jesse to stretch which isn't fully out yet but we thought we'd take the leak to go to stretch immediately and we're now running our mail servers running stretch which was great and we're slowly moving over our dev server to stretch and then of course it will leak down you know trickle down to the live stuff which is great so it's been a really good time it's it's Upgrades always scary because what? Oh no! What have they changed? Oh no! How are we going to fix it and stuff? But you know, to get to the end goal, which is what we want, really, is stretch with seven one and puppet four. You know, it's just it'll be great. And some upgrades you just have to do. Like when things are you know, end of life. Like puppet three's end of life, and we need to be up to four. And even five's coming out now. You really have to kind of just think, nope, we have to bite the bullet. We have to invest the time now to do that. And although we may not get any foreseeable value out of it from, like, say, a business point of view at this time we have to keep up with it you have to change and upgrade because you're not going to get the patches like who's to say there's not a bug you know a security hole that occurs similar to i mean obviously windows xp was different with WannaCry because they did patch it in the end but you have to upgrade because you have to remain patched essentially and also to get the latest and greatest and take advantage of the platform
0: yeah i think it's it's interesting isn't it because like you say sometimes when you when things are working you think well why don't risk breaking it um but like you say it's It's short-sighted because you don't know what the issues are down the road. So, um, yeah, I do fully appreciate that. I always try and upgrade to the latest versions of things. But, yeah, when things go wrong, you kind of feel like, oh, why did I start doing this?
1: Well, that's exactly I mean, we talked about it with Webpack, didn't we? Webpack 1 to Webpack 2. Uh, We phrased it last time and other things such as like symphony is an interesting one with us so the beautiful thing about symphony i mean symphony flex has come out um like they they're talking about that fabian's talking about that which is really interesting and uh symphony four and like kind of the, the roadmap for that and uh, we're still on 2.8 and we need to move, well, actually, sorry, correction, we're, we're on 3.3, we're actually on 3.3 now for a new project we're doing, because new projects, you get the latest and greatest, and it's bringing the other projects in line with it. And we've got all our APIs and stuff on, on 3, but our marketplace is actually on 2.8 still. Uh, we've done all the changes, so the beautiful thing about how Symphony have done it is that they've essentially slowly over the, over the time of that 2. release, of that 2. dot release, they've added in the features that, you know, that are going to make 3.0. And essentially, any deprecations they do eventually go to three zero or whatever it is now. But you can essentially build up to it. So you know, like I'm now we're now 2 eight with less with no deprecations, which means then we can just switch to three without any worry. And it seems like they're doing the same thing they will with the three branch. So it's a very I think that's one of the values in Symphony, and I think it goes kind of gets taken for granted. Like the upgrade paths in Symphony are so good for the business world. Yeah. You know, where it's this structured upgrade paths. Like you know, people complain about like the world that the kind of the JavaScript world and stuff. It's oh, they broke it again, they're changing it again (laughs) and stuff. And, you know, that really does hinder people adopting technologies and stuff. Because sometimes you do need stable upgrade paths and thought about how is someone going to upgrade. Because like you say, we all want the latest and greatest, but you also feel like it's not broken, don't fix it. But you want a state if you can give them a stable upgrade path that tells them how and why to fix. There maybe be some investment into upgrading it. At least people, more people are going to do it. Then no, I'm not going to bother because it's just you know breaking it, and you're going to have old stagnant code that isn't maintained anymore.
0: So I've got a horrible issue like that, and uh, you're going to cringe when I tell you. Uh, but so I've got one code base where uh, a React code base. And it's all the old kind of uh, create class um, where you create your uh, classes that way rather than using the native JavaScript classes. And obviously I've started doing it the right way now, but I've still got a load of them where they're they're not. And so now my console got a really annoying red message that's saying, you know, this is not supported anymore. <laughs> you know, you need to use native classes. And it's so annoying. Like, do I now go through and change them all or... And it's a, I've now got a horrible hybrid of code. And um, I kind of... I you've just got a normal code base. I wouldn't like (laughs) this
1: is the thing you've got a genuinely normal code base which has gone through some transitions yeah and general business you know code bases successful code bases go through transitions and I think it's working out a plan for that so I would say yeah it probably is valuable to go spend some time maybe an hour or two to slowly chink away at these things yeah like when you've got some time and you know this seems like kind of media work in in the grand sense of things it's not a massive structural thing it's more syntax thing maybe you can get some fancy regexes that do it or something i don't know but you know maybe it's an automated path to do it but even if it is just a case of you going in you're doing something good there because you're slowly built you know again what's the where's the value like i'm still creating a class but unfortunately this is something that's changed and you kind of have to go with it
0: yeah i think you're right i think that's the right attitude to have anyway
1: now it's a tough one though man because it is like you know that it's i think we're you know we all want to make features we all want to make new cool you know shiz really uh and saying oh i want to uh, you know i've got to upgrade something it's like "Well, oh, why you know like it's it's working it's like you know it's like well no but then this 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 doesn't work and we take you know and you do kind of think uh,
0: oh, you know yeah oh sorry i was gonna say i have one last thing to talk about if that's all right because i'm conscious we're yeah out of time, go for it man but, uh, so ethereum wallet ethereum ethereum, ethereum. okay so, ethereum yes yeah obviously it wouldn't be a good podcast if i didn't talk about something that i don't understand right so here is that time so basically i've got a friend who has lost his password and he's only got like 10 pounds worth of uh, currency in there or something but he's basically asked me if i could somehow brute force his password uh so i did a little bit of research and found out because i know nothing about these technologies you know i'll uh, I always say to my friend it's over my head, and he says, no, it's at the side of your head. You just don't know it yet. And um, But anyway, so I've done some research, and I understand the password is stored locally on your machine, which is part of the you know appeal of it, I guess. And I understand that it's encrypted with AES-256. And I also know there's a tool out there written in Python uh, which will uh, help you do a brute force attack on your own password, providing that you have some idea of some of the words that were used. So I did try this tool and I can't remember exactly why, but I suddenly realized, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was quite working for me the way I wanted. So now I started trying to script something up in PHP. But I don't know, I mean, is it is it simply an encrypted string using AES256 or is there other stuff going on that's going to make my attempts completely useless? And my, my Python isn't good enough to read that script and fully understand exactly what's going on.
1: So, so uh, I didn't get the first bit because the internet cut out, but it is essentially what he's trying to do is he's trying to, he's trying, he's lost his, his public, he's lost his private key to access his Ethereum wallet. Correct. Right. Unfortunately, he will not get it back. It's, it's non-impossible. Um, many are people uh, actually not many are people but there's been some high profile cases in the Bitcoin world where people have lost their private key uh, and they will never get it back and that money can be seen in the lovely ledger but you'll never be able to use it Uh, unfortunately that's the case so the, the way it works is is kind of like you said. There's a password. You've got your own password. You can unlock it essentially and use it. Uh, it uses public key uh, public private key encryption. Yeah. Um. You know, which is used. You know, RSA. It's used. You know, for you know all of our stuff as SSL and things like that. Yeah. You can't lose that private key. If you lose that private key, you can't actually access anything. Um. So there are things like you know you you I think you can make your private key out of passphrase or something like different words so maybe he's got the i don't know if he's got the dictionary words or something and maybe that's what this python script is it's just a brute force attack of what he's trying to do exactly that. doubt that's going to work uh because unless he knows any kind of what words they were you know like maybe some help you know like i can give you at least two of these words like let's work out the others there's going to be a lot of possibilities because i think it's like six or seven words maybe combined for this yeah um i know that's how I know it's how I think that's how Ethereum works I've been doing quite a bit it was interesting when you put this in the show notes because I was I've been very interested in like Bitcoin um, and kind of the the underlining technology which is blockchains Um, partly because of the fact that this whole idea of hashing and things like that and it was it's just yeah it's absolutely fascinating definitely have to get people on the show for it but the the short answer for, for that question though is sadly I don't think it's going to be possible um you you have to back that up and look after that private key and that's part of the the, the thing you get with bitcoin you know you get bitcoin which is you know this idea if you don't have any banks you don't have any government say or anything you know you can do what you want you can transfer money around and everything and and it's just you know the brilliant thing about blockchains is you know the fact you've got this distributed everyone's kind of got the you know the truth the source of truth and it's distributed truth which is just a crazy idea to think of but it works you know with the idea of proof of proof of work kind of you know working out how the how the transactions and stuff are put into blocks and things and everything, but yeah, the one thing you don't get is the idea of I've lost my password and I have a forgotten password, please, because there's no central resource, yeah. so you, you know, when you can ask, uh, and and there actually has been a lot. There's been one high profile actually, um, I'll put it in the show notes, a case where someone did lose their Bitcoin uh, private key. And they had a lot of money in Bitcoin. And that you know the sad thing is is that Bitcoin actually is gone from the world now. No one can take it out, no one can use it, no one can reclaim it. Uh and that's what it is.
0: Well, I mean what you wanted to hear (laughs) then. Well, this guy has got a lot of the
1: words that he thinks are in there. And um Well, that's good. I mean, if he's got the words that he thinks are in there, then he can you can at least then kind of, you know, just do swaps, permutations on that. Yeah. Uh and then maybe
0: it's gonna be hard though, dude. Well, that's why I was trying to. I mean, this Python script. I was trying to work out whether it work, it would work in parallel. And from what I read, it, it will. And then I was looking at Amazon. They've got is it called uh, HPC or something like? They do offer like you know supercomputing power.
1: Yeah, you, you could spin up like a really high compute instance on AWS, which would be pretty yeah. fun.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking, but it's I'm trying to find the time to do it. it.
1: Seems like quite a fun little project, though. It well, actually seems like quite a fun little project to try and, uh, yeah. you know, find this private key if you can.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's what appealed to me. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about it, so I'll read a little bit more and uh, find out. But, I mean, like you say, the, the pure facts, the, the number of possibilities. I'm trying to work out what that...
1: Like this is the beauty of private public key, and it's all about prime numbers and all this crazy yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. it's it's not impossible to break, but if you do have a starting point, at least most of it, maybe then it'll be easier because yeah. uh, you're you know you're kind of you know divine
0: down how hard that problem is. But even things like case case sensitivity or that kind of jazz,
1: I don't yeah, I don't know actually if they the dictionary words do that. Actually, I'm not sure. I only I only heard about the dictionary stuff uh, just on a, a previous podcast that I did, so that's what I know
0: about that. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound too helpful. Hopeful, no, oh, sorry, not helpful, hopeful,
1: Sorry, uh, yeah, I, I will. I will give you uh, some, you know, kind of thing. The blockchain is awesome, so that's something definitely to look, read into. If you're kind of going down the Ethereum Ethereum route, sorry and the bitcoin route uh check out what blockchains are
0: and there was yeah nick mcdowell uh friend of mine he and who you know he's he's very much into blockchaining he's very interested well
1: we need to get him on the show then because i'd love to talk about them <laughs> maybe you ask him you know, maybe he'll say yes try. oh do you know what i'm gonna ask him and see let's let's see if he'll come on the show you know i'll beg him ask but no it'd be really cool talk about blockchaining he might he might yeah well that'd be really really cool because it's such an interesting technology and a concept that just
0: blows my mind Cool. All right. Is that a good place to wrap it up or?
1: I think it is. I've got two more slight little, two more slight little things. So first thing uh, is PHP. So with my changing from PHP 5.6 to 7.1, working out differences in code and stuff. So working out date, time changes and stuff. There was actually an interesting thing in, I think it was a dot release of 7 where the Microseconds had gone. There was a bug that happened in, I think it was three or something, point three, where it, the microseconds just didn't appear. It was actually a bug in PHP when they released it, and then it came back in point four. Uh, so one of the things I use is a thing called eval.org uh, and it's, that's in, spelt in LeetSpeak um, because it's actually all these PHP instances and HV, HVM instances uh, and it spins them all up and it will do all your scripts for you. So you run a bit of script and it will tell you the outputs for all the different ones and how they differ. So if there is any changes. So it's a great way of seeing how code runs in different platforms or different versions. Yeah. And the other thing is ASCII Cinema. So one thing I have done in the past, uh, especially like we've kind of kind of like, you know, walkthroughs and stuff kind of at work, kind of uh, just to show pull requests off and how things work, maybe in the command line a bits uh, is something called ASCII cinema. And actually I used it in a blog post that I have recently did, uh, which was how we use Homebrew to manage our project development scripts. It's a great little tool and all it does is it essentially just records what you do in your command line. So, you know, instead of having to spin up like screen, you know, kind of sharing kind of thing and recording it and all that stuff, you just run this and it will then dump it and it will then produce a beautiful like ASCII kind of player which allows you to scroll, you know, back and forth, seek and everything and uh, put it on your, you know, put it in blog post, put it, you know, share it. So definitely recommend that. And uh, that is me, and I am burnt out now with all the stuff that I've just said because <laughs> I've been talking way too much.
0: <laughs> no worries. Well, uh, thanks for everything you uh, brought to the show. It's good.
1: Well, and you too, sir. You too. Yeah. It's been fun. It's been good to catch up. We'd have to have to do this more uh, more frequently again. It's hard, though. Life life gets busy.
0: Yes. Yes, it does.
1: Now, you, you're saying you, you've been busy, you know, doing your shed and stuff. I, I, I've realized the fun of that. Like I've destroyed a shed this weekend, oh, yeah. and then I've been doing some concrete all my days like concrete you know people who or destroy yeah all right okay no about both a combination of two so i had a bit of concrete that i did slab that i didn't want so i broke that up so we've been expanding out we're getting i'm getting we're getting a new shed so we destroyed the old shed we got the base and then we need to expand the base a little bit so we we started off with a decent base as it was uh and then yeah so it was digging out some grass out of that you know making sure that's all right and then it was the idea of laying concrete and it's just yeah a lot of fun a lot of hard work uh you respect people who do it and it's hard to get it level and everything but it is it is rewarding like i can understand where you're coming from at the beginning of the show when you said where you know like doing that type of stuff is rewarding and it gives you a different fuzzy feeling
0: yes fuzzy feeling it does yeah you're absolutely right oh sorry one last one uh again not watch this at all might be awful but uh yeah i did find some when i was digging around for some sort of like uh information on postgres stuff i found some uh conference videos and i think they're from uh this year so nice new and relevant and it's the go-to conference and it was in chicago this year and it looked like some you know really good um speakers and stuff so be well worth a watch i reckon it could be awful but uh
1: no like bud your your picks always always deliver, you know, right always deliver you are the postman you always
0: deliver i like that my new nickname so i've put a link in, in the uh, notes anyway for you
1: awesome that's great man and it's been good talking, good catching up, and audience. I think I think I'm safe to say it's been a great episode, the best
0: ever. The yeah. best. We're so good.
1: Yes. That right. no, I'm joking. That's really big headed. Sorry. But we are. Yeah. We're okay. We're okay. We, we we try our best. Yeah. When I listen back to this, I'm going to hate it. But that's just typical. Typical when you hear your own voice. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Mickey P, I'll our speech you soon then, dude. Yeah. Cheers. All right, audience.
0: Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Three Devs and a Maybe. You can contact us at contact at three devs dot com or follow us on Twitter at the number three devs and a maybe.